0: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for walk well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. mobilecom Derek Henry is running right through some of the best defenses in the NFL. 180 plus rushing yards at Houston, at New England, at Baltimore. Imagine what he was like as a high school athlete, 500 plus rushing yards in one game. One man who covered him shares the insights here in just a minute. And Luke Keekley, shocking our friends in Charlotte, North Carolina. We'll hear from WFNZ on the retirement of the greatest Panther in franchise history as a hall of famer after eight years. And how would you like to be remembered? Some incredible quotes about the man more so then even the linebacker home and home dot sports original. were brought to you by zip recruiter. Check them out. The smartest way to hire in 2020 at ziprecruitercom com slash answer. A lot of sports discussion to come in the next hour, but we start this half hour with the discussion of the democratic presidential debate last night. The field continues to narrow. It was massive. What do we have 20 plus candidates? And now we're down to six. A lot has been made of the fact that there is no minority representation on that stage. That is certainly unfortunate, but it is what it is. Clearly, it is the voters who are deciding this. It is not the networks. It is about who is raising money. It is about who is getting the numbers. And Ross Tucker, it was about one question last night. It was the battle of the sexes, always raging in sports, in politics, in every office building in the country. And the question was, can a woman be elected president of the United States? That question arises because a report from CNN suggests that Bernie Sanders told Elizabeth Warren that he didn't think a woman could be elected president. What do you say, sir?
1: Uh number 1 I say very little about politics. That's that's number 1 as you know. But number 2 I I'm a little confused because I mean didn't Hillary Clinton get like that close to winning? Like I I don't know why he would say that. If Hillary Clinton didn't have that whole email scandal or whatever, she would have won, I think. So I I don't understand I'm sure I'm missing something and you'll enlighten me right now. But as a uh, very impartial, apolitical observer, I would say I don't really understand it because Hillary Clinton almost won, arguably should have won if there was no scandal or the media attention hadn't been so focused on her emails or whatever She probably
0: would have won, so I don't get it. Well, I'm a numbers guy, and let's not forget, she did win in many regards, more than two million more popular votes than Donald Trump had. If it weren't for the system we have called the Electoral College, she would be President Hillary Clinton at this moment. But I do see what Bernie was trying to, to discuss or try to get out there in the open. And I don't think Bernie Sanders, and I, look, I'll just be honest right here. I would never in a fucking million years vote for Bernie Sanders. I think the economy would, <laughs> would explode and would step off the edge of a cliff. I don't think we can afford any of his policy proposals. But sorry to weigh in with my politics there. I do think there is an issue with women running in politics in general and I see it in my own home I see it out there in my community women are much tougher on women than are men I don't think it's because of sexism I think it's women are much harder on female politicians then they are on men. We talk a lot about experience with women and we don't do that with men. Um, I think I hear women all over town say, oh, she seems nasty to me. She seems cold or rigid. You don't hear those things said about men. They're professional. They're tough. They're business. Like women are nasty. Women are bitchy. Men, women are, are harsh and so, uh, and that's judged by women. I think it is going to be very, very difficult for a woman to win the electoral college. I do think it'll happen. I think Nikki Haley has a distinct uh, shot at becoming a president sometime in the next 12 or 16 years, the former South Carolina governor who will at some point run as a Republican. Um, so yeah, do you see that ever? I know you don't get into politics a lot, but do you think women are just, tougher judges on women altogether? Uh,
1: so first of all, there's no question about that. I totally agree on that. And number two, there will be a woman president. I mean, I don't know when it'll be, but no there will be a woman president at some point. And I would guess in the not too distant future. Uh, but yes, I do see it. You know, I guess I'm surprised by two things, Dave. I am surprised that women are as hard on other women like Hillary Clinton, for example, as they are. And I'm also surprised, frankly, that women are as forgiving towards men like Donald Trump in some instances as they are. You know, not to get too far down the line, but I guess I thought when when the audio came out where Donald Trump said he would grab her by the you-know-what, Yeah. I guess I thought that that would be like a huge red flag for women, like just disgusting, I could never vote for him. But some of the women I spoke to,
0: it didn't bother him as much as I thought it would. I was kind of surprised wholeheartedly agree with you there. And, and you can expand on that. The The affair with a porn star just after his wife had children, the affair with a playboy playmate. Um, I agree with you. And, and I see this in other walks of life. In my profession, um, women can't seem to climb the mountain as nightly news broadcasters. Now, Nora O'Donnell, who, who works at CBS, does the nightly news every night at 630. And if you want my actual opinion, I watch her most nights. think she is a fantastic talent and the best out there. And all I hear is other women say, oh, she seems cold to me. She seems harsh to me or nasty. And I said, would you ever say that about a dude? And And they wouldn't. They just wouldn't. And Nora it's showing in the ratings that maybe women just aren't ready to even watch a woman deliver the news every night, even though this one is fantastic. And the fact that she's tough is one of the reasons why I like her. But whatever. We'll see where this goes in the months ahead as the 2020 election is going to be a fascinating, one a fascinating race. One thing we will not see ever again. In 2020 and beyond, is Luke Keekley. Luke, ever play again? He retires at the age of 28 after eight NFL seasons. Uh, some are debating is he a Hall of Famer? Let me just answer that question. Abso freaking lootly. Seven years a Pro Bowler, seven years in either at first team or second team. All pro, the best at his position for eight years. And you could argue over the course of a decade. Um, He has had five concussions, and that looks like the reason Luke Kuechly is calling it a career. He's a former Defensive Player of the Year. 1,092 tackles in those eight years. That is first in the sport. Again, that is a Hall of Fame resume No no matter how long you actually played the game. What made this so unique was how other players will remember him and you hear the human being Luke Kuechly is and how difficult this decision was for him, how gut-wrenching it was deciding to hang it up, listen to Kuechly on this video that the Panthers put out on Twitter last night.
2: It's never the right time to step away, but now is the right time for me. And it's a tough decision. I've thought about it a lot. And you know, there's only one way to play this game since I was a little kid is is to play fast and play physical and play strong. And at this point i don't know if i'm able to do that anymore and that's the part that is the most difficult is i still want to play but i don't think it's the right decision so I've thought about it for a long time and i think now is an opportunity for me to step away
0: incredibly emotional announcement for luke keekley one of the all-time greats and follows in a long line of What some would call early retirements, Andrew Luck at 29, Gronk at 29, Patrick Willis at 30, Cam Chancellor at 30, Calvin Johnson at 30. How difficult was that decision for Luke? How will you remember him, Ross?
1: Well, obviously, it was very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, watching that video and listening to him, I could feel that, Dave. Dave. I could feel that for him, and I could feel that for me. You know, I can put myself in his shoes. Mine was a little bit different because, number one, I don't think any NFL teams would have wanted me anymore anyway. Number two, I didn't really want to have a neck surgery to try to keep playing football. But I was still very, very upset when football was over, although strangely a little bit relieved on some level. But for Luke, he's still so good. He's still playing at such a high level, and he loves it. So it's like, um, and you can appreciate this, Dave, it's like breaking up with your first love, And you're never going to see him again. And it's hard to explain that, right? Like, you know, football was my first love. And I loved it, frankly, more than any girl other than my wife, if I'm being honest. (laughs) I mean, mean, even the other girls, I told him I loved them. I liked football more than I liked them. But um, (laughs) my point is, is like, it's a really hard thing to break up with that person, even though you don't have to. He didn't have to make this decision, but I'm sure he's thought about it a lot, talked with his girlfriend, talked with his brothers, talked with his family, and just thought, you know what? Now is the right time. And personally, Dave. Any guy like Calvin Johnson, Patrick Willis, Luke Keekley Rob Gronkowski on some level that makes this decision, I applaud. And I think this is or on some level should be the new template. You play your rookie contract. You get the big second contract. You... Play several years of that, and then you get out. And then you get out before you do more damage to your body and more damage to your brain. Andrew Luck's another one. Luke Kuechly has made $63 million. He's 28 years old. He is giving himself the best opportunity to live a healthy life the rest of his life And a higher quality of life. And I applaud him for it. It was obviously a very difficult decision. But it's one. Frankly. That anybody that cares about him. I don't know him well enough to say that. But if he were my brother Dave. This is the decision. That I would be hopeful he made. And I would have been talking to him about this. The last couple years frankly. And I would say the same thing to J.J. Watt. Really, anybody that's made life-altering money from this game, I think should consider stepping away every year.
0: So that was very well said. And I'm curious your your reaction because a a friend who is a Charlotte, North Carolina resident texted me initially afterwards and said, this is alarm bells for the NFL. This is a really bad day for the league he thinks it represents a decline of the sport and the future i said to him i do understand the youth participation has dropped almost across the board across the country but i don't think this is actually bad for the nfl in the long term as far as a business model look at the television ratings right now i don't think it's going to hurt the game that you guys you have guys play six, seven, eight, ten years, and then step away in the eyes of some early. Do you think this is bad for the game in the long term? No, I don't. Um, I understand what your friend's saying,
1: but Keekly in particular has had a lot of concussions. So I think what's more alarming would be if people chose not to play college football, Or if college football players chose not to play in the NFL, but grown men who made $63 million saying, you know what? I don't need this anymore. And moving on. That's been happening since Jim Brown retired when he was 30. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. now back then it was just for orthopedic issues, but this has been happening for a while. I think, Chris Borland is more concerning than Patrick Willis, Calvin Johnson, Luke Kuechly, because as great as Luke Kuechly is, and as much as we love him, we won't talk about him once next season. No one will say, man, where's Luke Kuechly? I wish it just, it just keeps going. The game just keeps going. Mm -hmm. You know, Antonio Brown didn't play this year, Dave. He's arguably the best receiver in the league. He didn't play. Guess what? Ratings were up across the board. Nobody really missed him. I mean, maybe the Steelers did a little bit or the Raiders or the Patriots, but you get my point. If Antonio Brown wasn't a lunatic on social media, we wouldn't even talk about him. We wouldn't even think about the fact he's not playing anymore. It's truly incredible. The NFL is a freight train on the tracks. And no matter who jumps off, the train just keeps going. It doesn't care who gets off, when you get off, or why you get off. It just keeps going.
0: Agree with that wholeheartedly. I think it will not hurt the game long-term, but we will see because those youth participation numbers are down across the country. Now, there's another question that immediately struck me after Luke Keekley called it a career and it's how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered for who you are as a person or what you did professionally? And this is a question that I wrestle with just about each and every day of my life. And probably a lot of you do out there as well. Should you put your emphasis on your career or how you are at home? Can you balance both? Can you be remembered as both a wonderful human being and as a hardworking, successful professional? Well, for Luke Keekley clearly that answer is absolutely yes. Listen to some of these descriptions. Christian McCaffrey, not just the best player I've ever seen, but the best person I've ever met. Torrey Smith, called him one of the best players that I've ever seen. And the greatest human I've met. Jonathan Stewart, one of the most pure and authentic people I've met. He was a great teammate and friend. Thomas Davis, best teammate I've ever had on any level. Derek Anderson, one of the best humans, friend, teammate anyone could ever want. That is all any player or any human being should want in terms of what their legacy is. We all know he's a great football player. He's a Hall of Famer, hopefully on the first ballot, if that distinction matters. It certainly made me think about my own legacy and what is more important at the end of the day, how you are remembered as a human being. I think it was a bit of a wake-up call for me, honestly, Ross. I don't know about for other people, but what matters most to you? Do you ever wrestle with that in terms of what people will remember you as a great human or or would you rather value your professional success over personal? I think, um, I think when I,
1: when people remember me, I just want them to think probably the best looking 320 pound guy I've ever seen. (laughs) Probably, uh, you know, really should have been a plus, a plus size model for years. Now, you know what? It's funny because either today or tomorrow, we're going to talk about Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Titans. But there is no question, Dave, what really matters is, in my mind, what your friends and family think about you, right? Like, my mom, what she thinks of me as a son, what my wife thinks of me as a husband, what my kids think of me as a dad that is so much more important than anything else in life. It's not even worth talking about. Do I, do I want people, you know, to, to think I, to, to to enjoy me on, on the radio and television. Sure. Do I want people to appreciate, you know, how hard I played and, what I was able to do, football? Sure. And and really, we talk with our daughters all the time. The most important thing to us is that you are kind and that you are a good person. And mm. I'd like to think that I am. I certainly hope that people feel that way about me. But I don't know, Dave. I mean, sometimes like, I look at my father-in-law. He's unbelievable. He's like a... He's like a top five human being I've ever met. And so, you know, I'm just not that nice. (laughs) Like, I'm trying, but I'm not that unselfish. You know what I mean? Like, I'm i trying to be the best I can, but um, it's incredible to hear what people said about Luke. I mean, I, I was with a teammate yesterday, and the first thing he said to the guy I was talking to was, Ross is the dirtiest guy I ever played against. So I was thinking, I was thinking when I retired, or like if I retired now with social media, I'm wondering what guys would say. There's Ross, the
0: dirtiest son of a bitch I ever played with. (laughs) On your tombstone, my friend. I think a lot of people chase professional success, certainly a lot of people I know, and they don't think enough about how they will be remembered personally. Lou Kickley was a wake-up call to me that you can be remembered as both a tremendous professional and a wonderful human being, that you can concentrate on the professional and the personal. You might not be a Hall of Famer and remembered as the greatest teammate at any level, but a bit of a wake-up call for all of us, no matter what our profession is, how do you want to be remembered when it's all said and done? How do they remember him in Charlotte, North Carolina? Let's quickly listen to our friends at WFNZ on their reaction to the retirement of Luke. I
3: was not expecting to have to do this show uh, in 2020. It is, I mean, in some ways good that, you know, we're doing this and Luke is able to uh, step away from the game and not have this game destroy, you know, his ability to enjoy life moving forward. But it's also sad. As a Panther fan, I'm sure y'all are feeling the same thing. We're never going to get to see him play again. I just
1: want to say, it's been like 10 to 11 hours. I'm already on the third stage of grief.
4: Um, I've been I've been through the denials. I'm mad as hell. And I'm trying to bargain. Like maybe, maybe Tepper can, can pay more money or maybe he'll come back if, like, it takes a year off or I'm in the bargaining stage right now. I, My wife
3: is laughing at me because I shed a tear. I just, I feel like a jilted lover. And I don't understand man. He is truly one of the great middle linebackers of all time. He is on the short list. In my opinion, it's kind of a sad day. Um, I, I, uh, gosh, you know, I don't know hard to know what to say. I, I do feel like that. Barry Sanders, like a Jim Brown, you know, what, what could have been, I think he's the best player ever to play for our Carolina. Uh, I agree with you on that. I thought about this bone. Like, you know, if there was something that I couldn't do radio anymore, how much it would kill me. I love doing this. Just imagine if you have something you love and you you have to, for the betterment of yourself, you have to walk away from it. That's hard, man. So what he's going through has to be really hard. This whole radio station today is going to be bells and whistles and celebrating you, my man, because I think you're the best Panther ever.
0: So our friends at WFNZ in Charlotte, North Carolina, get them anytime on the radio.com app. Imagine having to quit something you love, even though every bone in your body says, no, I don't want to. Cheers to you, Luke Keekley one of the all-time greats at the position. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, what was Derrick Henry like as a high school running back? He is dominating the NFL right now. And he actually was about that size and speed in high school. That must have hurt. A man who covered him in the Jacksonville area joins us after the break. It's a new year, folks, and you want to keep growing your team, but you need the right tools to help you hire, stay streamlined, stay efficient. That's what you got to do in 2020. That's what we're seeing all across the NFL, hiring new coordinators like Joe Brady, Hiring the best people to improve your team at every position—that's what Zip Recruiter does, and you can check them out for free and use their services. The exclusive web address: it's ZipRecruiter.com/enter. They make the process easy. How? Well, applications come in, they analyze each one, they spotlight the top candidates, so you never miss a great match. Zip Recruiter so effective—four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter, get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Again, you can try ZipRecruiter for free. Write it down, ZipRecruiter.com. Enter, it is ZipRecruiter.com. They are, without a doubt, the smartest way to hire. Highly recommend you. Check them out in 2020. Derek Henry, the high school running back after a break. What would you do if you were in the Astros dugout, maybe the Boston Red Sox dugout in 2018 and you knew there was cheating going on. They were stealing signs, banging on garbage cans to tell them what pitch is coming. What would you do? Would you participate? Would you not participate? Or would you sound alarm bells and tell the league? We asked you at RDC home and home, please weigh in for us. We'll have those poll results in just a bit, but first, Derrick Henry, 180 yards plus in three straight games on the road against Houston at New England at Baltimore. Just imagine what this guy was like to stop as a high school running back. It's a hump day home at home. We're brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Check them out, ziprecruiter.com slash enter the smartest way to hire I'm Dave Briggs in Connecticut Ross Tucker's in Pennsylvania and our good friend Justin Barney is in Jacksonville Florida he is the sports editor at WJXT who covered Derrick Henry as a high school running back Justin thanks for being with us how would you describe Derrick Henry this freak of nature 6'3 245 4540 as a high school running back
2: as dominant as he is in the NFL, if you can believe that, uh, he was, on. you know, from a high school level, he carried the ball 462 times as a senior, 462 times, and 462 times opposing defenses knew he was coming, and they still could not stop him. Uh, you know, the thing about Derek is you see him in the NFL. They said he was too slow to play the position. You've seen that he's not uh, too slow to play the position against NFL-caliber players. He was like that in, in, in high school. Just on a scale you cannot imagine, you know, the guys he's playing against is bigger than his offensive lineman, bigger than his fullback. I don't think there was a player on his line that was uh, even remotely the same size as him. So what we're seeing now in the, on you know, the big stage of the NFL, what we saw at Alabama, Derek was was even better than that in high school, as you can imagine. You know, high school guys, um, at, at the, the Blue Blood programs have guys, you know, comparable to Derek's size, you know, the, uh, the 6'2", 6'3", guys. But those are... Those are not guys you see on a daily basis. And you know, the guys Derek ran against, I mean, a lot of the times they were small guys. A lot of times they were uh, guys his size, you know, elite five-star players, and they still had trouble bringing them down. Um, just a dominant force of uh, force of nature. I covered Tim Tebow in high school, and I likened Tim and Derek to what they did for their positions as, uh, as revolutionary. And um, you know, Derek's just fascinating to cover in high school. Great to deal with, great to talk to, and uh, great to be a front-row seat to history we had.
1: You know, Justin, it's interesting. I was reading one of your stories from when Derek was a senior, and it's crazy because some of the same concerns about his upright running style, lack of lateral agility that people had when he was in college coming to the NFL, they had even back in high school. It's kind of, it seems laughable now that there were concerns that he might not even be able to cut it in college.
2: Yeah, you know it's um it's funny. I had a, a conversation with his coach yesterday from high school, Bobby Ramsey, and he said, you know, it was really, um, it really disappointing and and for Derek, I mean, he took it hard. You know that colleges wanted to kind of flip him, flip his position from the, the running back to defensive end. and Derek has always, I mean, through through Pop Warner through middle school, he was always a running back. So it it really um, turned him off, alienated him against some coaches and colleges because you know, they wanted him to do something that was unnatural to him at the next level. And he said, you know, he's shown throughout his career that he could do this at a high level. I mean, he broke a record that was 59 years old in high school football, um, maybe the most sacred record of all time, um, Ken Hall's rushing record. And, you know, there were questions that he still could not do it. And, you know, I think the knock on Derek was that he played a weak schedule. They they feasted on small teams and bad teams. And that that is uh, totally against the norm. I mean, uh, he played Buford, nationally ranked Buford team on TV as a as an underclassman. Do, you know, had a had a game there that was his closest game to to being held under 100 yards, and he had I believe like an 85 yard touchdown late in that game um, against a team that is just a, an Atlanta powerhouse. And you know, Uli at the time is still a a building and rising program, and um, I think it I think it irked Derek to be listed as um, I think in the ESPN recruiting. Uh, rankings had him listed as an athlete and I asked him before back then mm-hmm. um, you know Derek you're an athlete and he said what is an athlete what is an athlete I don't know what an athlete is I mean I'm a running back I was born to play that position that's what I'm gonna be at the next level and you know a lot of the colleges that came recruit him I talked when I talked to Bobby yesterday I asked him I said what schools were the ones that that wanted him to play running back and he said four out of five so the three schools that Derek Henry chose from on um, when he announced his decision uh, on ESPNU back in um, back in the day, they got Alabama. He had Tennessee, he had Georgia, and he had Alabama, and those are basically the, the only three schools, maybe one more, that were going to allow him to play offense in, in college. So, you know, the Notre Dame's, the Floridas, the Miamis, um, those guys all wanted him as as a linebacker as a defensive end. Um, so I think that, you know, I think that goes maybe to poor scouting or or a guy who did not fit that norm of that shifty small running back. You know, at the time, Kelvin Taylor. At Belle Glades, Glades Day was um, the de facto back who was on that running that uh, that that track to beat Ken Hall's record. Derek and Kelvin played head-to-head the senior year, and Derek ran for six touchdowns, um, and Kelvin mm-hmm. ran for one. So, I think it you know, every opportunity that he had was about proving that he could play running back at um at the next level. And again, he has done nothing. If you saw him play in high school, nothing that he is doing now is surprising you. I think it's. Um, It's a surprise. Again, he's a big guy, and people think that he runs too rigid. He runs too upright. um, But, man, he has just done it time and again against good competition in in high school, college, and certainly the NFL. Talking to
0: Justin Barney, sports editor, WJXT in Jacksonville, I'm a numbers guy. Derrick Henry, 12,000 yards rushing, uh, 502 yards in one game, three games with 400 plus yards averaged 9.2 yards per carry his senior season. And by the way, for good measure, he squatted 500 pounds and deadlifted 550 as a senior in high school. What is the myth? What is the legend of Derek Henry in the Jacksonville area and Yuli?
2: Yeah, you know, and people, I think the knock on Derek too, back then people thought he was so much, he was old, you know, the knock on, uh, Derek, when he was playing, was he's 20, he's 21 years old. Another kid, I mean, he didn't turn uh, 19 until he was in college. Um, and he'd always been a big kid. His family said when Derek was two, he looked five. When he was five, he looked 10. And that just, he was just a man child. He was, when you saw him as a younger kid and and a kid in high school, he looked like he could have played in, in a, you know, late college or in the NFL at that point. He was just, he's always been a physical specimen, a physical freak. And people never realized how fast he was. Yes, he was big. Yes, he ran uh, maybe taller than normal because he's a tall kid, but he was so fast. And, you know, again, I mentioned uh, Tebow early on. I mean, you know, the area has had two Heisman winners. Tim Tebow played at Nice from 2003 to 2005, won a state championship there at a school with very, very little history. Derek got his team to the state semifinals as a senior. They ended up losing to Bowles and I think with every game out his senior year, his legend grew. I mean, you knew he was going to be good um, at an early age, and he came out and ran for 2,000 yards his freshman year, and you said, this kid is really good, but um, what can he do against a schedule that presents some challenges? And as his career went on, you really ended up adding kind of those bigger games, those, those marquee games on TV and against good competition, and uh, he performed every time out. So, you know, I think in, in retrospect, Derek's what he's done and what he's doing now has just gone and, and enhanced his reputation, which was already great around here. I mean, heck, they just uh, uh, unveiled a, a huge sign in Yulee, which is a tiny town. Uh, was un- unincorporated for many, many years. So he is a, a hometown superstar, not only in Yulee. I mean, Yulee really holds tight to him because he's their own product. He, was, he wasn't born uh, and, and moved in uh, from somewhere else. He's homegrown. The people there love him. The people at the school, they're still revering him. Talk about him. He was very close with the, the secretaries, the front desk ladies at school. He answered the phone uh, during uh, busy times at school. So you can know, you imagine answering a phone and hearing this deep voice on the the other end of the line. He was just tried to be one of the guys at school, as difficult as that was for him to do. He didn't like that attention if it was focused on him as, as his accolades. If he, you know, if he could deflect that to to Yule, if he could deflect collect that to his coaches, his friends there, he would gladly do that. And um, I think that's why he's so revered. He was a very attached superstar to his town. It remains that way.
1: Mm. Um, last one for me, Justin. He was, oh, in, in reading one of your stories, he was 241 pounds. So he was almost already how he looks now back then, which number one's crazy, but number two, like NFL guys don't want to tackle him. So what was it like for the high school kids? Like, I, I mean, we just had Luke keekley retire because of what the game does to him. I'm picturing Derrick Henry killing kids in high school. Like what happened there?
2: Yeah, it was, um, you know, I think the knock on, on Derrick was, you know, he's such a big kid. He's never going to be able to. Um, you know, been the edge as uh, as college and the NFL potentially wore on. And for one, he was healthy and he was never banged up in high school for a guy with that much mileage on him. You know, and Yuli did not throw the ball a ton. I think they had maybe 700 passing yards as, uh, you know, in 13 games, Derek senior season. So Derek was getting the ball every carry just about. I mean, 462 carries uh, in a season is just staggering. He had a couple games with uh, 50 plus carries, which is just unheard of. Yuli needed those to win games, and um, Derek showed he he could handle that. He wanted the ball in his hands every time he could. Um, and, and the thing with Derek, um, if you talk to opposing coaches who scouted him and who had to defend him, uh, the number one thing they said is to get him in the backfield. So, you know, a lot of times Yuli would see six down linemen and five linebackers are a variation of those two because if you could get Derek at the line of scrimmager or – you know behind the line of scrimmage that was the only way to slow him down um a lot of times there was no safety help with Derek. it was stopping him early on in the play so they didn't have to get into a foot race with him because yes 241 pounds but the kid could fly he was so fast and at that size it's unnatural to be able to run that fast and Derek could run that fast and you know, he'd outrun five stars from the in, in the secondary all the time and um, again it, it speaks to his physical conditioning he was most often, always the biggest player on the field for either team, and a lot of those teams they played were good teams. I mean, First Coast at the time in 2012 was loaded with with talent. Um, Trinity Christian at the time loaded with talent. Um, defensive backs were going to LSU and uh, Florida. I mean, there were tons of guys that he was playing. You know, that were trying to stop him and and could not do it, or if they did, it was 20 or 30 yards down the field. So the thing with Derek was was send as many players as you can um, early on in the process and and don't leave safety held back there. Don't leave any any corners out there. Throw as many guys up front and and challenge him to get past you, and uh, many times he did. And
0: just like Derek Henry did over the weekend, he threw a touchdown pass at Uli as well. Much longer though, as I recall from seeing that video, a great video on YouTube for those who want to see it at max preps. It's on YouTube shows. Derek Henry is a high school player uh, talking to Justin Barney, WJXT. quick question before we go. And it's about the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, retaining Doug Marone. Who's kind of pulled the reverse Matt rule. Who's a program builder. It's gone the opposite direction for Marone 11 and 21. The last, Last two seasons, what's the local reaction at them retaining Marone, and is there any sense of optimism in Jacksonville?
2: Oh, it's. Uh, I think there's different factions. I think there are people who, um, who really thought that this should have been a clean sweep with Tom Coughlin, uh, Doug Marone, and Dave Caldwell, general manager, going out in a package deal. But I think as the the season kind of hit its uh, its its tail end, there was a a group that. Um, may have wanted to give Doug Marone one more chance. And, uh, you know, not as much with, with Dave Caldwell as Doug Marone because um, I think a lot of people felt that that Tom Coughlin was the one that was pulling the strings uh, the last two years and um, made things um, a little bit m- uh, unsustainable for Doug as a coach. I mean, he was out there each week facing the brunt of the media and um, I, I could tell from some of his pressers that um, he was a little – uh, a little myth that he was the one that had to continue to come out mm. week after week and answer these questions that he obviously wasn't um, making the calls on behind the scenes. So um, I think the the elimination of Coughlin was um, a big kind of a big plus for fans and um, certainly per- personnel in that building um, that, that Tom was made may have been the guy that was responsible for the issues with Jalen with Helvin Smith retiring early um, with unique and got possibly wanting to move on so. Um, yeah, I think the Tom Coughlin move appeased some people, but on the flip side, you see guys like uh, Ron Rivera getting fired. Um, you know, Matt Rule coming in from college. I think it's just been too, too little for too long for Jacksonville fans, and it's um, yeah, I think right now with bringing Doug back, even though I think there was a, a segment of people who thought Doug um, should have gotten a chance, another chance to coach his team without the thumb and the micromanagement of Tom Coughlin. I think there was a little bit of disillusionment that you know teams like Carolina are going and hiring innovative off in the innovative offensive guys to um, to kind of inject some excitement and, yep. and some points into this uh, this uh, this team. You know the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago was great, unified a town and a city, and um, just not being able to build off that. And in fact, going backwards these last two seasons, they've been terrible. Um, the Nick Foles signing backfired. Um, the offense was terrible under uh, John Filippo in terms of consistency. Um, So I think it's uh, are we in for more of the same? Are we prolonging this rebuilding process that we know is coming for another couple of years by hanging on to him? So I think that the the, the sides were split, but I don't think there's, um, you know, from a large part, I don't think there's too much uh, blowback from bringing back Doug Rohn. I think a lot of people felt that he kind of got a bad, um, a bad deal maybe these last couple of years.
0: And Minshew Mania, Coming to Jacksonville, how soon will he take over? We appreciate the time. Justin Barney, WJXT in Jacksonville. Appreciate the time. Thanks, guys. Talking about some offensive innovators in the NFL, Ross, Joe Brady, the big news that he is leaving LSU one game, one season as a passing game coordinator, joining the Carolina Panthers as offensive coordinator at age 30. The rapid ascension of young offensive talented coaches in this league is astounding. I think what five years ago, he was a graduate assistant at Penn state. Is this exactly what, what Carolina needs and did he have to strike while the iron's hot, though he's just 30 and wasn't even calling plays for Joe Burrow and LSU was the passing game coordinator. All right. So Dave, you know, how old are you? 43. I am 43, sir. He,
1: he's 30 years old <laughs> and he just turned down $3 million from LSU to go to the NFL instead, $3 million a year from LSU, to go to the NFL instead. How are you feeling about yourself right now?
0: (laughs) I think about this each and every offensive hire, coaching hire. uh, It hurts me a little bit. That's one of the professions that I was really considering diving into. Never in a million years that I would imagine the rapid ascension of these young people. It, 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 it is something that uh, I will forever regret not at least taking a crack at coaching.
1: That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it isn't, you know, in coaching, it's like these days, the younger you are, the better. And if you have a sweet beard or you're good looking, That helps, too. You know who should be a a coach? Loomer Loney. Loomer Loney should be an NFL (laughs) offensive coordinator. 20 years ago, maybe. I mean, it's just funny. Um, But Joe Brady deserves and gets a lot of credit for what he did at LSU. What I think is interesting, though, is I don't know how much of Joe Brady's success or how much of LSU's success was Joe Burrow, was Joe Brady, was Steve Emsinger. Like, it's hard to really know, right? So I find that interesting to see that they're in a situation where Matt Rule evidently felt like it was primarily Joe Brady. And guess what? LSU did too. Otherwise, they wouldn't have offered him $3 million. So they must know behind the scenes that Brady is the brains, Brady's the guru. Well,
0: I'll tell you what, you want some backup for that? Paul Feinbaum for ESPN covers the SEC. You won't believe this evaluation of the importance of Joe Brady, not just on the LSU program, but of the Heisman Trophy winning campaign of Joe Burrow. This is what Feinbaum told our friends at WFNZ prior to the hire of Joe Brady. This is the description of the importance of a 30-year-old who was not calling plays.
4: From what you've seen in the one year at LSU, do you think this is a guy who, moving fast, would behoove him and that he could have immediate success jumping back to the NFL? I would. Uh, you know, there, there, there was a, there was a, There's schools of thought. Uh, t- take the offer from, from Carolina or gamble and replicate this next year and then have the choice of, of any head coaching position, but, but quite frankly, I don't think it's a gamble at all.
3: I would leave,
4: uh, and, and I think he's gettable. I, mean, I I know the reports of the extension are out there, but let me also tell you that you know the kind of money that they'll be paying him is ridiculously low for what he is capable of doing. Without Joe Brady, they are not celebrating the national championship, and quite frankly, I don't think Joe Burrow is the Heisman winner or – the uh, presumptive number one pick in the draft. So, I mean, I think that goes without saying.
0: Ross, I want your reaction to that on WFNZ from Paul Feinbaum again, that LSU would not be national champions, that Joe Burrow would not be a Heisman Trophy winner and would not be the presumptive number one pick if it weren't for a 30-year-old who was not calling plays.
1: Yeah, well... I mean, Feinbaum is very connected to the SEC in particular and probably knows. I mean, let's be honest, Dave. I'll go back to what I said a couple minutes ago. Matt Rule could hire a lot of people to be his offensive coordinator. The fact that he's hiring Joe Brady tells you that he agrees with Paul Feinbaum. He thinks that Joe Brady was the biggest reason for Joe Burrow's success. Otherwise, he wouldn't have hired him for the Carolina job. And I think LSU feels that way with the money they offered him. And I don't know about the play calling or whatever. I think that's weird, though. Like, if he wasn't calling plays, what, what did he do that was so great? Like, I, as a former football player, I, I would need a little bit more information. If he's not calling the plays... What is he designing that's so great? I mean, they got three freak show receivers. They got a quarterback that never misses a throw. I mean, he deserves a lot of credit. I don't know how much credit. Clearly, Matt Rule and LSU and Paul Feinbaum think a lot. But it seems like a little much to me the more I think about it, right? I mean, not calling plays. They've got crazy receivers. They've got an awesome quarterback. I don't know.
0: It it is hard to know who's right, who's wrong. Chris Blair is the voice, uh, the play-by-play guy of the LSU Tigers. He was on this program talking about the national title game. Here's what he said about the importance of young Joe Brady.
4: I think he del- deserves a lot of the credit um, because that's what they were looking for. You know, last year they went um, with the offense. Steve Ensminger again, who's you know, called more football games than than, than I'll ever imagine, probably, uh, in his 30 years as a college coach. Um, And he's got a trust with Coach O. So that trust makes Ed feel very comfortable. But they both agreed after uh, losing that game uh, to Alabama in Tiger Stadium in 2018 that we can't line up uh, and just simply try to smash people out of our way and win football games. You might be able to do that eight, nine times out of the year because you're just bigger, stronger, and faster. And, in fact, that's kind of where LSU was for uh, about seven years. So they decided we gotta, we got to do something about this. And, you know, I, I give Joe Brady a lot of credit because he brought the new principles, obviously instituted the RPO. Uh, he understands the way to attack a defense. And uh, when you watch LSU, and I mentioned the great receiving core it's great to watch the film because you see these guys run such great routes. They find the empty cushions or, or the vacuum, if you will, against defenses. And that's really a credit mm-hmm. to Joe Brady. But I think a lot of credit again goes to Steve Ensminger because here's a guy who has no ego in it at all. He wants LSU to win. He was a star quarterback at LSU. He's been a coach on the staff in a number of roles uh, for a number of years. And he's not looking for credit. He, he's here to win for LSU. And, When Coach O and and Steve uh, Ensminger met Joe Brady, they thought this is the type of guy that can bring us the new principles. We'll merge that together with Steve's experience and kind of a feel for a game. And it's really fun to watch these guys work in the booth.
0: That's Chris Blair, the play-by-play voice of the LSU Tigers. Yes, Steve Ensminger is the offensive coordinator and was the man calling the plays for LSU. And we won't know, Ross, because, of course, Joe Burrow will be in the NFL. So you can easily see a drop off regardless of who's calling the plays or who innovated the offense because Joe Burrow will be gone. Now they're still going to have Jamar chase, which is hard to believe we don't hear more about that. I mean, this is, a, this is another guy like Trevor Lawrence who deserves to be playing in the NFL next season, but Chase has to do one more year in college football. Unfortunately, I wouldn't imagine he would get beyond the top 10 if you were to head out right now. But look, if you were Joe Brady, would you go to the NFL and make that tough call to leave LSU after one season?
1: Yes, yeah. I would.
0: He made the right
1: decision. Number one, Dave, recruiting for college football is a huge pain in the ass. It's nonstop. You even when you're home at night with your wife, you're constantly on your phone texting or tweeting kids back, direct messaging them. It's it never ends. NFL, you don't have to worry about that. Secondly, there's really nowhere to go but down for him at LSU, right? Like Heisman winner, number one pick, national championship. He has reached the pinnacle. So unless he loves Baton Rouge or loves college football, you go to the NFL, Matt Rule got a seven-year contract. Matt Rule's going to be the guy, and you get to go in there and grow – as an NFL play caller, I think it's awesome. I think he
0: made the right move for sure. And he'll probably be a head coach in the next five or six years if he continues that type of success. Now, we don't know who's playing quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. Not sure how Cam Newton recovers. Interesting decision he made. We have a very interesting coaching decision made to talk about tomorrow on the program. If you had a father who is worth not millions, not hundreds of millions, but billions of dollars. Would you go into the coaching profession that requires long, grueling hours, little to no money to begin, the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans, who you are writing about, Ross Tucker, on The Athletic, his dad, the founder of FedEx, and he will post that piece on The Athletic tomorrow. We'll discuss If we would make that type of decision instead of going into the family business or going to start from scratch in the coaching profession, good discussion to have tomorrow on home and home for Ross Tucker. I'm Dave Briggs. We will see you on a Thursday. Hey everybody. It's Ross
1: Tucker. Thanks for listening to the home and home podcast. Remember you can watch or listen live every day from 8.30 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com home.